0: Hey guys, what is up? It's Kaylin, back at it again with episode four. I am so pumped right now. So excited. I told y'all, I'm going to say I'm so excited every episode. Because, I don't know, there's just, there's something about reading God's word and not just reading it like a book, but reading it like a history book or something you would read for school, just studying it and going more in depth that just gives me chills. It makes me excited, okay? So, super pumped. Um, I'm going to talk to y'all for a second about the schedule that I'm going to come up with episodes. Originally, like I said, it was going to be Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. But my idiot self did not realize that every week starts back over, and right after Sunday, it's Monday. And I'm not going to do back-to-back episodes. So here's the schedule that I've come up with. For while we have all this time. It's going to go Tuesday. Shoot. Now I can't remember it. It's going to go Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. That's going to be the scheduling of the episodes. And then when we get back to school, eventually. It'll happen. I'm going to throw out episodes every Monday. And just do one a week. But since we have all this time, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to try to do three. Sometimes I might be behind and just do two. It depends. Anyways, y'all don't want to hear about that. Um, so, let's bust it in. So, my last episode, I got to talk with Lily a little bit. We talked about so many great topics. We talked about anxiety. We talked about church camps. We talked about breakups. We talked about relationships. We talked about her testimony. It was so good. So good, guys. And one of the things that she mentioned, I took notes. I don't know where my notes are. But I believe it was Matthew 29 something. And it talked about the hand of man and the hand of God. And I loved it. And I was like, why don't we start buzzing into Matthew? Like, that sounds like such a good chapter. So I was reading Matthew. And I was going to do how I did Job and go from, like, the very first chapter all through the book of Matthew. And Matthew's a pretty big book. But... I realized that, like, the first, like, three chapters, or the first two chapters, are all about the birth of Jesus. And I was like, that's a pretty good, that's really good. I mean, it is the birth of our Savior and Lord. I mean, you can't, you can't really get better than that, except for the crucifixion. But, I was like, mm, save that for Christmas. So, I was digging through, chapter three is all about John the Baptist, and then chapter 4 is about the temptation of Jesus. I was going on, I was going on and I found the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all, it's so good. I was reading it and I was like this is perfect for new believers because it shows you all the blessings that God gives you. So I was going through it's Matthew 5 verses 1 through 6. That's what we'll be looking at today. And so it's labeled the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. So let's get into it. So, I'm looking at verse 1 right now, and it starts off, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Y'all, I'm going to go ahead and stop us right there, because that's like a little section on its own. And then you get into the Beatitudes. So, and I'll go more into depth on those in a second. I love the way they describe this. Seeing the crowds, y'all, the way that they describe these crowds were... They weren't necessarily followers of him, but they weren't, like, complete, like, atheists either. Like, they were, they were right in the middle. They really didn't go for either side. But it says that they were so inclined by his teachings that they just, they came to him. It's almost like, you ever have that feeling, like, you just, you have to go to something, like, you have to do something. You just have to go towards it. That was kind of how them. It was like a push and pull reaction. Like they had to go towards him. They wanted to hear his teaching. So it talks about the crowds. And then it's the disciples. So I want you to try to envision this. So imagine this this mountain. Okay. So Jesus is at the top of the mountain. And his disciples are sitting down right in front of him. And Jesus is sitting down too. Don't worry, that's normal. Almost all the teachers sat down in biblical times. I mean, it's not like... A lot of our teachers now stand up and give lectures. I mean, he sat down and he spoke to the people. So it goes Jesus, and then his disciples are sitting down in front of him, and then behind them, it's just a whole crowd. But Jesus is talking to the disciples directly. So let's get into the Beatitudes. Yes, I did have to look up the pronunciation, and yes, I do have it written down my notes, because <laughs> I wanted to say it right. Okay, so fun fact. The Beatitudes come from the Latin word, which means blessed and happy. And that's what the Beatitudes are all about. They're the blessings. They're the eight blessings that Jesus teaches his disciples about and ultimately teaches us because it's in the Bible. And whatever they learned, we get to learn too, which is so cool. So we're in verse two right now and it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop this because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What this means, the poor in spirit, it's like I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it's those moments when you're completely like broken down and the world is just like it's like a backpack on your shoulders and it's a weight. And you have to carry it around. Or it's a burden. It could be your home life. It could be school. It could be sports. It could be a friend. It could be an addiction. It could be a drug. It could be a person. I mean, it's just, it's a burden holding you down. And it's you. It's when you're just so weighted down by that thing. That you just cry out to God. And you're just, God, I need you. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need... He was my Father and my Lord. Those are the poor in spirit. The people who are so beaten down. Or even the people who are so good and so holy. And have that outer exterior of always reading their Bible. Who are always in the word. But it's the ones who are poor in spirit. Means the ones who need God the most. And this is his promise to him. the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is the ones who are most in need of God's help, of God's help, those are the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven and those are the ones who will be granted the spiritual, who will be granted spiritual access. The study Bible that my youth pastor gave me, it says those who confess of their spiritual bankruptcy. That's such a cool way to put it. It's like, just, that's so, I love the way that they put that. Those who confess their spiritual bankruptcy, those who are, their cup is running dry, and they're on their last drop, and they're like, God, I just, I need you. That's such a powerful moment. I'm going to stop this for a second and tell y'all about, like, two nights ago. It was Sunday night. I don't know if y'all ever heard of him, but his name's Elijah Lamp. He is a TikTok star. He is also a very spiritually guided young man. I mean, he's, I think, a high school age. I mean, I th- I'm i pretty sure he's like 16, 17. And he wants to be a pastor. But he God has given him this platform on TikTok to where he is a, he's enabled to use that platform. And he gets on Zoom calls during the night. And he just answers questions about spiritual truth. And he does sermons. And he does... Bible studies and I think it's so cool I love getting on them I enjoy them so much shout out to Lily for introducing me to him not physically but through his zoom calls (laughs) anyways so Sunday he was on the Zoom call and it was his Easter service this little service with like 400 people listening and at the end of it he did the prayer that you hear a lot at like church camps or D now Or at church, even, at the end of the service. And it's just that prayer saying, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I ask for you to come into my life. And to fill my cup that I can't fill on my own. Y'all, after he finished that prayer, he said, if you have prayed that prayer, I want y'all to just message me and say, He is risen indeed. I counted all the messages 132 people that night, 132 people and a little bit more accepted Christ to be their savior that night. And that's what this is talking about. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The ones whose cup is dry and needs to be filled. Those are the ones who get the reward of heaven, which is basically all believers, because at one point in time, your cup is going to be empty and it's going to have to be filled. And that's when you're poor in spirit. So we're going to move on to verse four and it says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted y'all for those of you who know the definition of mourn and those of you who don't mourning is when it's most associated when you're losing a loved one or someone that you've cared about for a long time. That's when you mourn. Usually you grieve their death and you grieve their loss. It's, con- it's one of the most common ways to, you know, mourn someone is grief. To actively let yourself be upset over the situation. Let yourself mourn that person. But there are so many different ways to mourn things. I mean, this Bible, it talks about the mourn of financial loss. Or the mourn of emotional loss. Or of spiritual loss. Those who mourn shall be comforted. So it's saying, in our time of need in our time of grief or sadness, God will come to us and he will be the father that we need him to be. And he will wrap his arms around us and he will comfort us. Y'all, there's nothing like being comforted by God. There's nothing like it. And I say that because whatever we do, he does in tenfold. I mean, the way that I comfort my friends, he will do 10 times better. I mean, everything God does is perfect. So the way that he comforts and the way that he loves, it's just insatiable. So verse five, it says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Don't make fun of me. Don't make fun of me. I had to look at the word meek. <laughs> I was so mad at myself because once I found the definition, I realized that I had already learned that and I knew I should have known it, but I had to look it up because I didn't know what it was. And then I find out that it actually says the, the definition in my Bible, but we're not going to talk about it. So the meek, let me go to my notes. The meek are the gentle, the meek are the weak. Uh, that rhymed. They're the ones who, you know, are on the scrawnier side. They don't really. And this can go for physically, mentally, or spiritually. I mean, if you're weak in your strength or if you're weak in your mind or if you're weak in your relationship with God. Like that rope is untethered. He says, the meek are the, the are those who shall inherit the earth. He's saying those who are weak and seek God for strength shall inherit the earth. That's what that means. The ones who actively don't rely on their own strength but seek God for strength because his strength is 10 times more than the strength that we could ever have. Those are the ones who shall inherit the earth. I love that. I think that's so cool. We're the ones who shall inherit the earth and shall roam about it and shall spread his discipleship because we get our strength from god just like how on these podcasts none of these words come from me all these words and the strength the strength of my mind all of that comes from jesus these words are just flowing out of me through god i mean i none of this comes from me our discipleship comes from him so verse six blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied So what that means i feel like this one's pretty self-explanatory but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied this reminds me of the woman at the well i don't know if you've ever heard that bible story but it's this sumerian woman and usually in biblical times the sumerians were never spoke to by jewish people i mean it just didn't happen because they were like seen as the lower class the jewish people were on the higher side and so you never saw a Jewish person speaking to a Samarian. So this woman, she was coming to this well on the outside of Samaria, and she was getting water. And this woman was not like the holiest woman in the world. I mean, she was described as lustful. She had slept with several men, several husbands, and Jesus had was traveling a long journey and he was at that well too. And he asked the woman, could I have a drink of your water? And she looked at him. She was just astonished, you know? She was like, what? What do you mean, can you have a drink of my water? Dude, you're Jewish. And I mean, they, and I'm not, it's not like she telepathically knew that. Everyone's physical appearance was different to match who they were. So I'm sure, like, she had a physical asset to her that would have shown that she was married. and He would have had a physical asset to him to show that he was Jewish. Anyways, that's besides the point. So, she was like, why would you want to drink from my cup? I'm Samarian, you're Jewish. And he told her, sweet daughter, if only you know the water that I had to give. Because my water gives eternal life. And you, when you drink from my cup, you will never be thirsty again. And that's what this verse is saying. Jesus speaks of living water when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman. And what that means is... It is the water of eternal life. It is the promise to God that when we believe in him, we will be able to walk this earth with him by our side. And ultimately, we die. when we die, we will go to heaven and party with him and be with God. And that's what this verse is saying. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. This is God saying, all of you who wish for my love and wish for my righteousness and who actively seek it, and you have a thirst and a hunger for that righteousness, you shall be satisfied because I will give it to you and I will give it to you in tenfold and I will walk with you. So let's move on to verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Okay, so the merciful. This one I love because I feel like mercy is so hard to find now. In our society. You never see acts of mercy. Mercy is kindness and forgiveness. And so many people in our world today, like they're worried about themselves. And I know it's always been like that, but I just don't see mercy as much nowadays. Too many people hold grudges and too many people hold things against each other and won't show grace. And God calls us as Christians to forgive those who turn against us and those who shy away from us and who despise us. I mean, there have been times where I have had to deal with situations where I've been made fun of for being a Christian, or especially on sports teams where I've been called a goody-goody or I've had a hard time from some of my teammates because I wanted to pray before a game And, uh, you know, you have to just learn to pray for those people, plant that seed, and if they don't want to accept that, then move on, because you have to, you have to believe that God will take that and move on and, and help that seed grow, but you have to show mercy as well, and when they despise you, you have to love them, and you have to show them mercy and forgiveness. And this is what God tells you. He says, let me see, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they, shall, for they shall receive mercy. God showed us mercy when he died on the cross. That's the biggest form of mercy in all of biblical history. In all of history. Anywhere. God took the sins of the world from past generations to my children and their children's children and their children's children until jesus comes back he took the sin of everyone in history from before his time to after his time i mean he took the sins of the world it says that he was blackened it says that god had to turn away from him because his his soul was so dark a perfect man That was the greatest form of mercy in the whole Bible. And if God has the strength to have that much mercy for everyone, we should have strength to have that much mercy for one person in our path. You give mercy because God gave it to you first. And because of that, you'll be blessed with mercy in tenfold. So let's move on to verse 8. So it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, so I had to look at this one for a little bit. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall receive God. So those with pure intentions, with pure actions, with pure love. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. No one's perfect. We're all born sinners and we're all going to die sinners. I mean, it's just how it's going to go. But those with pure intentions shall see God. It actually goes back to Jewish traditional law which talks, Jewish traditional law, they talked about the emphasis on external purity, which means purity through your actions, purity through the way that you move, purity through sacrifices. But Jesus says in Matthew that even though that's what Jewish law says, purity of the heart, and purity of the intentions, and purity with love, that matters more than purity with your actions. Of course, you do need to have pure actions, but it's more important to have a pure heart. And to love others. So we're going to go on to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be sons of God. Y'all, if you live in the south, which I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is. Y'all do. Um, you've heard at least one time in your life where someone has been called a potster. I can't stand those people. I know I should. I know that I should love them. And I do love them. But they just make it a little extra hard for you to love them. Because they want to make drama and create issues. But even here, God says, those who are peacemakers. So what it means is, not only those who don't cause drama, but stir away from drama. When it happens, those are the ones... I lost my verse. Where would it go? Shoot, I'm looking for it. Hold on. (laughs) They shall be sons of God. When you actively try to make the issues dissolve and do it in a peaceful manner, you shall be called the sons of God. So that was verse 9. We're going on to verse 10. This is our second to last beatitudes. It probably sounds so weird when I say it because I have to look down and, like, pronounce it in my head before I say it. Excuse me. Okay. So this is verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This brings me back to Job. When Job was being persecuted, not persecuted, when he was given all of these, like, I want to say plagues, almost. Like, he was plagued with issues. I mean, he had boils on his skin. And his family was dead. His servants were dead. His animals were taken. Don't know if they died or not. I think they were just kidnapped. And, uh, I mean, he's at his lowest point. He was receiving persecution from Satan. But he still stayed steadfast to God. And I believe it was around that point in time when I said that... The Bible tells us that as sinners and as Christians, people will, tr- they're going to come for us. I'm just saying. I mean, people are going to try to test your faith and see if you know things and see what knowledge you have of the Bible so they can trick you and try to make you stumble and fall. They're going to try to mess you up. They're going to persecute you. People are going to make fun of you. And that's just part of the Christian walk i feel like too many times in our society people see christians as perfect i promise you i'm not perfect i can name you more than a thousand times probably not a thousand because i'm too adhd to remember them but there have been over probably two million more than that times in just my 15 years of life where i have made mistakes and i have been completely far from perfect the opposite imperfect because that's what i am i'm a sinner i'm not perfect And I feel like too many people see Christians as we think of ourselves as perfect. So they want to try to see when we'll mess up. We're going to. Congratulations, you've caught me. I'm a sinner. I'm going to mess up. Hey, you want a medal? Like, people try to see us stumble and fall and we're going to. This is God's promise. He says you're going to be persecuted because you're my child. You're going to be persecuted when you're actively out seeking for me. That's how you know that you're being a good disciple and a good follower of God. When people stop picking on you, you might want to make sure that you're doing everything wrong or that you're not doing everything right. Hold on. Let me reword that. If people aren't picking on you and aren't making fun of you and aren't testing you, you might want to make sure that you're still in your Bible and you're still praying as much. You might want to take a good self-reflection because when you're a Christian, Satan comes for you in the hardest and most extreme of ways. He wants to make you fall. He wants to test you. That is the enemy coming out for you. And that's what God's saying here. He's like persecuted for righteousness sake. But our reward for loving God and for being disciples for him, that's heaven. That's going to be with him and being with all the celebrities of the Bible, like King David, like Daniel, like solomon like paul like job like peter like john the baptist i mean like moses like noah all these heroes of the bible esther ruth naomi all these heroes of the bible that you see we get to meet them one day that's our reward getting to be just with christians for the rest of your eternal life that's our reward for persecution So we're about to see our last beatitudes. We're about to see our last beatitude. And here it is. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So... For like the very first part, verse eleven is basically just restating what I just like went into an a two minute long thing about it's just restating like you're going to be persecuted as a Christian, and then it talks about the reward which is heaven, and here's what I love the very innate it said, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you y'all you have to when you feel like you're struggling when you feel alone in your persecution. Talk to one of your friends because I guarantee you they're receiving the same thing or something close to it. And if not, talk to your Bible besties, your BBs. I mean, Paul, Paul got so much hate because before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was literally on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians. He was known for killing Christians, torturing Christians, and being outright persecutions of them. And that's what he was known for. And then we come to see Paul. God changes Saul to Paul. And now he's this huge steadfast believer. And he's going out to nations upon nation upon nation. And he shared God's gospel like no other. And he was persecuted for it so much because he was seen as a hypocrite. Because at first he was out killing all these Christians and now he is one. And people were like, how can you make that switch? That's not fair. You need to die now. There were so many times. I mean, this man, he had to sneak his way out of a city in a basket. He pulled a Moses. That just blows my mind. I mean, you got two histories, two parts of the Bible, of biblical history, where you got two people carried out in baskets. I just think that's funny. Anyways, Paul was also thrown in jail. I mean, he was thrown in jail. But he also got to experience some pretty cool stuff in jail, and he was still discipling, even though he was in jail for being a disciple of Christ. I just, I love that. Paul might be one of my favorite biblical characters besides Peter, but I mean, that's another story for another time. So, yeah. Like, if you're ever looking for parts of the Bible where you feel like you're the only person in history who's ever been persecuted, I promise you, you are wrong. Look at Paul. Paul. I mean he's a prime example of persecution he was persecuted in tenfold i mean it was crazy how much hate this boy got okay so let's move on so this is like the main part of the whole chapter so you got to listen to the beatitudes it sounds so weird for me to say it i'll I'll get it one day now we're going to move on to jesus's metaphors of salt and light so what he's talking about in these metaphors is he's basically telling his disciples what they're going to do the, to the world. And what they're going to be for the world. And he uses metaphors contrasting salt and light to example for them. And let me show y'all the reason he used salt. Because I feel like the reason he used light is pretty obvious. But the reason he used salt is because salt was a very, a very important preservative in their time. I mean, it was used for taste. It was used to preserve meat. I mean, it was... It was very important to them. I mean, we use salt for much less nowadays, but it was very important to them. So that's why they use salt as a metaphor. So now we're in verse 13. And this is, I like to look at it, it's the identity that we have in Christ. So you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It says, you are the salt of the earth. So that means you are, like, you are... Hold on, hold on. Let me look at my notes real quick. Okay, there we go. I had to to double check my notes. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the good for the world. You are going to go out and you're going to spread my gospel. And you're going to sprinkle the earth with my knowledge and with my love. That's your job. But if you're salt... But if you lose... So he says, if the saltiness has lost its taste, what will you do with it? What that means is if you've lost your fire and you've lost your passion and you've stopped being steadfast with me, then what are, What good are you? He says, people will trample you under their feet. What he says by that is if you lose your love for me and you use your light for me and you still try to go out, you'll be you'll be slandered, you'll be squandered. People will just walk over you and ignore you. So that's why it's so important to stay steadfast in the Word as being a disciple. Because you are are the salt of the earth. We're supposed to go around and we're supposed to spread God's love. But if we're not staying steadfast in the Word and we're not staying righteous and we're not praying to Him, how are we supposed to say that we're Christians and that we're here to show God's love? That's basically what he's saying there. That's what he's telling us we are. That's our identity in Christ. We're the salt. We're supposed to go around and we're supposed to share God's love. We're the good of the world. So then it says in verse 14 you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden verse 15 nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light. it gives lice oh my gosh, that's <laughs> okay let's read that verse again verse 15 nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house so what he's saying is you are the light of the world. So you are the good of the world. Again, you're supposed to let your actions and let your... You're supposed to let my love and my teachings shine through your actions. Shine, shine through your word of the mouth. We're supposed to be the light of the world. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to GA camp. But that is basically like RAs for boys. But it's GA for girls. And ga camp is like for little like first through fifth grade girls and it was just a church camp for young girls and every year i love that they do this what they do is they put all the campers in one room it's the room that you go for like service and stuff and they make it pitch black and then you see all these counselors going around and they have candles in their hands And everyone's just kind of like looking around like, what's going on? Why do they have candles? We're confused. All these first graders are kind of crying because they're afraid of the dark. I was a fourth grader. I was crying because I was afraid of the dark. Don't make fun of me. And, uh, you know, everyone was kind of confused. And as the counselors were going around, some were holding candles and some were holding empty. Some were holding candles that had a wick that was unlit. They were passing them around to the campers. And you had the head of the camp standing up on the stage. And they said, you're all holding candles right now that have no light. You are the people of the world. The the Sumerians, the Gentiles, the people who are without God. You are the darkness. Then he motioned to the counselors. And the counselors slowly started lighting everyone's candle. And then as they lit the end row's candle, the people on the end row would pass it to the other campers. And they, everyone just ended up lighting each other's candle. And they said, now, you senior counselors who are supposed to pour into you and give you light, you have light now, go out and share that light with others. I thought that was such a powerful moment in my young Christian walk, and my walk as a young girl. Now I'm maturing into a, a young woman, it's a, I see more mature themes than that, but being a little kid, that was so cool, like nothing could top that. And that's what this verse is saying, you're the light of the world. So a good way to think about that is you are, you are holding a candle with light. All the, uh, all the believers in the world are holding candles. But everyone else, the other billions of people, their wicks are still unlit. Some people's wicks might have like burn marks or might be a little singed because they've heard of the Bible. But there are people who have fresh candles. And so, with them, they have fresh new candles. Our calling as believers, not even our calling, but our passion. The thing that we should be passionate about is going out and lighting everyone's candle. You want everyone in the world to have at least a cinch mark so that seed is planted. But it's more important to try to light the candle. I'm going to end there. Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've done for us. God, I want to pray all the people first being affected by the coronavirus, the families, the friends, the people who have it. Lord, that you'll just put a healing hand over them and that you let your will be done. And you'll use this pandemic as a time for us who are healthy to go around and help others and to be steadfast in your word, Lord. God, I pray that we will go out, God, and we will be, like the Sermon on the Mount, we will know our blessings and we will use them, God, and we will be lights for you. And that we will light others' candles, that we will have a fire in our stomachs that never go out and that never needs to stop burning because you completely fill us and you fill every part of us, God. In your name I pray, amen. Y'all, I have chills. I literally, I have chills. That was so good. The things that God can preach through you, sometimes they're just so powerful. Like, they just affect you and yourself. So, that's all I have for y'all. Um, Next podcast will come out on Thursday, so y'all be looking for that. I do want to say, like, if y'all ever have questions, or if y'all ever want my notes, because I take notes and I write down everything that I'm going to speak on in my podcast, I can totally send those to y'all. So... That's it for the day. Hope you'll have an awesome day. Have fun. Enjoy your life. Stay safe. Bye.